0: As a constitutional law attorney, former senior legal advisor, and personal counsel to President Donald J. Trump, Jenna Ellis believes in the rule of law and the importance of integrity in our elections. And she's ready to tackle the big cultural and legal issues facing America. This is the Jenna Ellis Show. Here is your host, Jenna Ellis.
1: Happy Monday friends and welcome to another episode of the Jenna Ellis show. We have so much to talk about today. Every Monday feels like it is always a breaking news day since the Democrats are trying to continue their petty tyranny and overreach and today is no different. So Mayor Bill de Blasio. ...out of New York City, which, by the way, I was up in New York uh, this past weekend, and that was definitely an adventure. He announced today that he is going to impose a vaccine mandate on all employees in New York City. So this is critically important that we as conservatives understand not only how to object to petty tyranny, but first and foremost that we understand how to analyze this through the lens of the United States Constitution and how this applies to a vaccine mandate on a state and local level as opposed to the federal government. A lot of us have been talking about Joe Biden's vaccine mandates. A lot of that litigation is already progressing. Uh, The Fifth and Sixth Circuits, of course, have said we are going to enjoin these vaccine mandates. So how does the U.S. Constitution... And the principles of limited government powers apply to Bill de Blasio. We'll get into that. But first, the Biden administration has caused a financial crisis and they have no clue how to fix it. Oil prices have skyrocketed. And when oil prices go up, not only do your expenses go up, but the cost of transportation and shipping spikes, leading the prices of goods to rise. We're seeing record inflation, and that is the very last thing we need. Our economy is in trouble and you need to take steps to protect yourself. If your money is tied up in stocks, bonds, and traditional markets, you may be vulnerable. So gold is one of the best ways to protect your retirement. Legacy Precious Metals is the company that I trust for investing in gold, and they can help you roll your retirement account into a gold backed IRA where you still own the physical gold. They can also ship gold and precious metals safely and securely to your house. So call Legacy Precious Metals today at 866 528 1903 or visit them online at legacypminvestments.com. Download the free investors guide. That's 866 528 1903 or or online at LegacyPMInvestments.com. All right, so Bill de Blasio, the latest in our line of petty tyrants. Of course, this is nothing new. He has continued to be a petty tyrant, and this is the latest example of his attempt to win the award for worst petty tyrant of 2021. And this is what Bill de Blasio had to say today on MSNBC.
0: We in New York City have decided to use a preemptive strike to really do something bold to stop the further growth of COVID and the dangers it's causing to all of us. So as of today, we're going to announce a first-in-the-nation measure. Our health commissioner will announce a vaccine mandate for private sector employers across the board. All private sector employers in New York City will be covered by this vaccine mandate as of December 27th. We're going to have some other measures as well to really focus on maximizing vaccination quickly so we can get ahead of Omicron and all Mm -hmm. the other challenges we're facing right now with COVID.
1: Okay, so the vaccine mandate is for all private sector workers, vaccine-proof for indoor dining, fitness, and entertainment required for children ages 5 to 11, and the program now requires two vaccine doses up from one. So where does this stop? we can definitely predict that de Blasio is going to eventually – Adjust his vaccine mandate, and we'll say now you have to get booster number seventy-five. Uh, this is something that is, of course, an overreach. We've been talking throughout the conservative community and uh, the the analyzing of these overreaching mandates about how the goalposts keep moving, and the science, quote unquote, is continuing to bend and flex with whatever the petty tyrants want to pretend to justify. I have not seen. Any science, genuine data and fact that backs up any of these vaccine mandates is actually accomplishing what theoretically they're imposed to do. That's really important because even presuming that Bill de Blasio has a legally and constitutionally justifiable basis in order to impose these mandates, a rational basis, the very, very threshold level and standard. Of a legal justification, rational basis, That's there's rational basis, intermediate, and then compelling interest for the government when we're talking about constitutionally protected rights. Even a rational basis for this type of an order does not pass that type of scrutiny. There is no rational basis. We have seen that the vaccines are not at all competent to do what they supposedly and theoretically are implemented to do, which is to prevent getting the virus. We've seen data, real science, that says people who have been fully vaccinated, the two shots, even a booster, are still contracting and spreading COVID-19. And this new variant, the Omicron variant, it has not so far as of today recorded one death from the variant. It's very mild. So there is no scientific or rational basis For these types of vaccine mandates to be implemented, to have this national outrage and fear to say now somehow just because we've discovered a new variant, that scientifically justifies overreaching mandates. That has never been used in the in in the legal context to justify a health and safety measure just because we have discovered a new strain of flu we've discovered a new strain of illness we've discovered a new strain of COVID-19 it doesn't matter that we have have simply identified and discovered a new strain what matters is whether or not These types of mandates have a rational basis as a threshold question. The fact that they don't and they can't scientifically back this up, and science, of course, is fudgy to them and it's malleable, and they're going to say this is what the science says according to their personal theories. But the actual data that we have that is on the record in terms of this virus fundamentally as well as the new variant does not justify these heightened measures. From a constitutional and legal standpoint, here are the key arguments that you need to be equipped with in order to push back against this petty tyranny. First, there is a difference between a federal versus a state or local mandate. That is clear. We have talked about Joe Biden's overreaching federal mandates, but when it comes to state and local authority, just because this is the mayor of New York, particularly as the executive branch— that does not justify simply imposing these mandates by authority of his position as the mayor. There are still specific, limited powers that are given to the federal government, the state government, and then also to we, the people. And so from a constitutional vantage point, if the legislature of New York were to pass this type of mandate. That could be and should be challenged. But this is inherently an unconstitutional mandate because it is coming from the executive branch. Most of these types of mandates have been justified through emergency power authorization that is given to the governor, the mayor, the executive branch under emergency authorization. We are now almost two years into this pandemic There is no emergency justification that allows for emergency orders to be continued this long. Emergency orders in the sense and context in which legislatures very, very briefly give and delegate some limited power to the executive to act is for the purpose of an actual emergency. Think a weather-related emergency, think a um, a a tragedy like what happened in uh, Waukesha, Wisconsin. Think about a school shooting. You know things that are that are necessarily an isolated moment in time. That is a very specific event that a governor or a mayor could act simply to help the community get back to square one. And an emergency should never last indeterminate and indefinite. That's how these petty tyrants are trying to turn the executive branch into kings rather than have a legislative debate, have to go through the legislative process. We do not have the executive branch in the role of kings and tyrants that have and subsume their authority of the legislature simply because they want to have an extended emergency. So Bill de Blasio implementing this, not only does he not have a rational basis, he has absolutely no authority within the state of New York to simply declare this. No legislature across the country has been in session, has contemplated these types of mandates, has had arguments, has heard from public witnesses, which you can, if you are involved in state and local government, you can go and submit testimony to your legislatures on the record, telling them what you think and how you want them to act. They are the representatives of we the people. That has not happened across the country for any of these mandates. Oregon now is the first one to potentially have a legislative action that is going to permanently have a mask mandate. That is very scary, and that. It can be challenged as an overreach of the, of the legislative authority, but at least I will give it to Oregon that they're at least trying to go through the legislative process with some of these petty tyranny uh, types of mandates. But for Bill de Blasio in New York, there is no authority based on emergency use authorization that allows him to simply declare this mandate. So from a constitutional standpoint, The problem here is the overbroad nature of police power that is given to the state and local government, and part of that is health and safety. Now, health and safety has been completely, completely manipulated by the executive branch to say that they are going to usher in these types of mandates under the auspices of health and safety. But as we have discussed so often on this program, Health and safety has to be justifiable, and it can't just simply be we think as the petty tyrant that this is in your best interest for health and safety, therefore we declare that. That is the rational end to what these vaccine mandates are going to set for precedent, is that anything that the executive branch of a state wants to implement under the auspices of health and safety, they are going to say— We now declare this under health and safety as a measure and you can't fight it. In what world do we as Americans live under an executive branch that can simply impose that on private sector employees and say you can't have a job in the city of New York, period, unless you inject yourself with a vaccine, and I put that in air quotes, with a vaccine that we are forcibly compelling you to comply with, or that we are forcibly compelling you to take. It's its absolutely insane. So when we look at this from a state and local level, these mandates do not have a rational basis. They don't have a health and safety measure that can be justified. And notice how none of the health and safety officials have gone On the record in depositions justifying this, Pfizer and the FDA are are trying to roll out their data over the next 55 years because they don't want the data to come out and have anything that is actually debatable and is challenged in terms of litigation. They just want to say that we know best. But from a constitutional vantage point, even though this is state and local level, There is no justification that two years into this, emergency powers for the governor or certainly for a mayor of a city would justify this type of an overreaching mandate that has severe consequences on the private sector. And there is absolutely no power for the mayor to impose this kind of a mandate. This needs to be challenged at the state level. It needs to be challenged at the local level, And this is something that New York is trying to lead the way into absurdity and into tyranny by being the first to test this because it is such a liberal blue state that they are depending on the judiciary and the judicial branch as well as the state legislatures Not to see that there is a separation of powers issue. So this is the last argument that you also need to be aware of is the separation of powers issue. When the legislature gives very temporarily authority and through legislation gives authority for emergency use authorization to the executive branch of a state, it's for very specific purposes. And if the governor or the mayor or any member of the executive branch overreaches that authority, they are acting in the capacity of legislatures when they're imposing these types of mandates. And so just like I argued along with my co-counsel in uh, the Thomas More Society in the context of the church shutdowns, uh, we argued a separation of powers issue to say that Governor Gavin Newsom and the L.A. City Council or LA County Council are overreaching and they are stepping into the legislative authority by issuing basically laws. And when you go to the airport and you see this, you know, by federal law you have a you have to wear a mask. Well, I don't remember a bill that was ever went to Congress, was debated, was passed by a majority of both chambers, was signed by the president, had argument on it. No, this isn't a law. This is a federal mandate that is overreaching and it's stepping into the role of legislation because it's trying to issue an edict and a law from the executive branch. The executive cannot create law. The only thing that they can do is enforce and use the specific powers that are given to the executive branch. They cannot be in the province of the legislature. So we need to be very, very careful as constitutional conservatives to make sure that we understand why the separation of powers is critically important to making sure we don't have a runaway tyrannical government. The same way that we don't want the judicial branch, and we've been saying for the last 50 and 60 years as conservatives, that judicial activism from the bench is unconstitutional because – the robed judges on benches do not make law. They cannot legislate from the bench. Neither can Bill de Blasio legislate from the mayor's office. That's what he's trying to do here. So when we look at health and safety as a as a context for these mandates— This still, at minimum, even on the state and local level, has to go through the legislature. And even then, the legislature has to justify its law. The legislature cannot simply convene and legislate on literally anything that it wants to. It still is under the framework of not only our U.S. Constitution, but then the state constitution and the principles of limited government authority. The state cannot step in and simply legislate on all of these things because it thinks that that's the best. And one of the chief examples that I always give is consider if your state legislature in the state that you are listening from, if your state legislature says, you know, it would be a really good idea for this state. Let's get together and repeal the law of gravity. We would laugh, right? Because we know that our state legislatures simply do not have the authority to change the laws of physics. They just don't. And in the very same way, the state legislatures don't have authority to simply legislate on literally anything that they think may be a good idea or may be a good law. The state legislatures are still bound by their state constitutions, by the principles of limited government, by the U.S. Constitution for federal questions and fundamental rights. And these state legislatures are so weak that they are simply conceding this overreach of the separation of powers. And there is the the non-delegation clause of the U.S. Constitution specifically, and all of the case law precedent out of that specifically says that the separation of powers is there so that we have limited authority in a legislature that you have to convince all of the members who represent the people to debate and argue over Legislation that they may want to pass. The reason that we don't have the legislative powers vested in an executive branch is for the precise reason that we need to stop the Bill de Blasio's from doing what they're trying to do. He is trying to be a legislator in and of his own office. He simply does not have that authority. So I think we're going to see a lot of challenges to this mandate. I think that the Employers should be very careful to implement this type of mandate before it's been challenged. Uh, It's simply been announced today. Apparently, the target date of when it's going to be implemented is December 27th, which you kind of have to ask yourself, okay, if this variant is supposedly so contagious and it's so bad and this is for a health and safety reason, then why are we waiting three weeks to impose this type of mandate. Well, obviously it's so that people then who aren't vaccinated can go out and get their first and then second shot because you have to wait two weeks in between. But at the same time, that's that's not going to prevent in the immediate sense anything that he's trying to accomplish. And so before December 27th, I hope that there will be lawsuits, that there will be challenges, and that somewhere in in the court system, whether it's the state court system or because this does go to a fundamental right in federal court as well, that there will be challenges and ultimately this will be enjoined or prevented or stopped. Um, enjoined is the legal term for stopping this type of action. And we have to, as conservatives, make sure that we understand this is an overreach, it is an abuse. We should not comply. We need to stand up firmly for constitutional principles of the separation of powers, of limited government, of sanity, of rational basis, and to make sure that we are challenging this because if they get away with this type of precedent, then anything that they want to accomplish under the auspices of health and safety, they will usher in as petty tyrants and say, well, this is for your health and safety, in my opinion, as a mayor, as a governor, as... The president, executive branch level, and they will say, we are going to try to compel you to participate and to comply because we think this is in your best interest of health and safety. The only Supreme Court case uh, so far that has touched on this issue, I have to mention the uh, Jacobson versus Massachusetts case. And that was, of course, back in the early 1900s. It dealt with a Massachusetts mandate for a smallpox vaccine. Two critical points on this case. First, it went through, this mandate went through the state legislature. This was not an executive branch edict. That is critically important to the separation of powers conversation we've already had. And second, the only punitive sanction or the only punishment for not complying. Jacobson was a pastor. He didn't want to comply with the vaccine. And what the Supreme Court said, and the parties agreed before this even reached the Supreme Court, They were not going to debate or litigate over the constitutionality of the mandate itself, but only over the punitive sanction and whether or not that was constitutionally justified. And what the Supreme Court said in that case is that because it was a nominal penalty, a nominal fine, $5 at the time, which would be roughly around $100 today or now with Biden inflation, probably like $500 today. That was as a one-time thing for not complying with that. That was okay for Michigan to say, here is the sanction for not complying with this mandate. Imagine if De Blasio said, okay, you're going to have a fine of a hundred dollars if you don't want to take the vaccine. Well, we need to still challenge the mandates, of course, as a threshold question. Just like even if you get an exemption for a religious reason, we need to challenge on face the vaccine mandate itself, but at least these challenges saying, no, you have to carve out a religious liberty exemption. You have to carve out a medical exemption. Fundamentally, this is required under the Constitution. If de Blasio were to implement just simply a nominal fine, not you can't work and you can't have employment, you can't feed your family in New York if you don't take the vaccine – that probably would have a greater likelihood of survival in the courts if it were a one-time nominal fee that is imposed for not taking the vaccine. So we also need to be very careful to not let the fake news media gloss over the substance of the Jacobson versus Massachusetts decision and say, oh, well, the Supreme Court said that vaccine mandates are okay. That's not true. First and foremost, make sure that you point out that was a state-level mandate, not federal, and it also went through the legislature, not the petty tyrants of the executive branch. And third, it imposed only a nominal fine for noncompliance, not the rest of these harms that are occurring as a basis of justification under these uh, these orders. So those are three critical differences. And I hope that you will continue to stand firm for the U.S. Constitution, for the principles of limited government, and never, ever, ever comply to petty tyranny. This is a hill to die on. Because if, and, and if you've taken the vaccine of your own free choice and you've consulted with your doctor, great. I'm not against the vaccine. I am against the mandates. And by the way, Merriam-Webster just changed the definition of anti-vaxxer to include not only someone that is against vaccines, taking vaccines, but also people who are against vaccine mandates. So I guess, guys, now I'm an anti-vaxxer according to this new definition. Notice how the left simply reinvents words, manipulates the meaning, so that they can get the pressure from the media and from the news cycle to start calling you names. Well, I don't care if they call me an anti vaxxer. I know what I stand for. I know what the principles of the Constitution. I don't care if they call me an anti vaxxer. I don't care if they call me all kinds of other names. They want to manipulate that ruling. I will call them out on it or that definition. If they want to manipulate the definition, I will call them out on it. But I'm not going to change my stance and I'm not going to change my fight. I'm not going to change my analysis based on them manipulating the definitions. If you've ever been a policy debater, uh, like like I was, actually in high school and college and beyond, and part of this and everything that I do today uh, is part of you know policy debate as well, and then obviously in the in the court context, but any sort of policy debate and any debate in general, it's won or lost in the definitions, and you see that even in court cases because the elements of a case and what actually defines, for example, self defense. What defines anti-vaxxer? What defines mandate? If you can define your way into achieving your end goal, you will have won the debate before you even started talking about it on the merits. Consider what happened in the 2020 election with manipulating the term standing. A lot of the courts did that. And they refused to litigate on the merits of the claims that Team Trump and the Texas versus Pennsylvania case uh, came in front of the Supreme Court and they just they refused to adjudicate it on the merits because they manipulated the term standing and said, sorry, as a candidate, we don't see that you have an articulable harm here and you don't have standing. They said the same thing, the Supreme Court said the same thing in the Texas versus Pennsylvania case that 19 attorneys general who participate in the electoral college system cannot call out and litigate over four other states not following the rules. It's absurd. And in that context, before the Supreme Court, original jurisdiction is also a rule, where if a state sues another state, the Supreme Court has to accept that case at and act as a trial court, hear evidence, actually adjudicated on the merits. So do you see what's happening here in a wider sense? This isn't just about mandates it's themselves. And this isn't just about attacking de Blasio as this crazy, rabid leftist. This is about the left trying to manipulate words and phrases to mean something other than they actually do and justify their actions based on those manipulated definitions. We also have to stand firm for truth and for the words that we use having precise meaning because if the term man and woman can't biologically correspond to reality and they can manipulate all of these terms into whatever they want, I guarantee you that's what they're going to continue to do in the litigation fights. They're going to manipulate the separation of powers, the limited powers of government, health and safety regulations, the ability for emergency use authorization. They're going to manipulate these terms at anti-vaxxer into oblivion. And they're going to try to justify their actions based on a manipulated meaning of words. And I hope and pray that the judiciary doesn't allow them to get away with it. And even more fundamentally, why should we have to wait for a judicial verdict instead of these really, really, really just awful state legislatures refusing to have a spine and stand up and say, sorry, that is our territory. That is our turf. The legislators of the state of New York, if they cared at all about their own authority and truly representing the people of their state, they would be the ones that would sue over this under a separation of powers theory and say, sorry, if anything, that type of a mandate would have to go first and foremost through the state legislature. It can't go through the executive branch, period. So let's continue to talk about this and to analyze this, and of course, as Litigation arises. uh, I will be keeping you informed here on The Jenna Ellis Show. And I have one other thing that I want to get to today that is really important that for all of the regular listeners, um, I know that you will want to join me in this. Uh, But first, let's talk about my good friend Mike Lindell, who has been a victim of cancel culture. He has invented com. He is a great, great businessman. And simply for standing up with political courage and speaking truth and speaking his own political opinion, he has been canceled out of box stores. So for this Christmas holiday season... One of the great things that we can do is to support Mike Lindell and buy from him direct. You'll get a great discount on all MyPellow products when you use the promo code Jenna. That's J E N N A. He's a sponsor of this show. And let him know that you appreciate his stance for truth, his stance for conservative speech, and that he does not care what names anyone calls him either. He is willing to stand up and say, This matters. So go to mypello.com, use the promo code Jenna, that's J-E-N-N-A, works on all of the MyPello products, and definitely um, support Mike Lindell, and this is a great way to get all of your Christmas shopping done. I know that my family loves to shop online, so this is a really, really easy way to do that. He's been canceled out of the box stores, but who cares? We can still go to mypello.com, support Mike Mike Lindell, use the promo code Jenna, that's J-E-N-N-A. All right, last thing. So as I said, I was in New York City this weekend, Uh, was very, very honored to receive an award from the New York City Young Republicans Club uh, for being the person that most embodies the conservative spirit out of this year, um, which was truly a great honor. And I'm very thankful to uh, that group for honoring me with that award and for giving me uh, the privilege of addressing this um, really huge group. It's about 500 people. Uh, in New York City with uh, the keynote address and past winners of this award included um, Steve Bannon as well as our friend James O'Keefe and um, so to be listed among them as someone who embodies the spirit of conservatism uh, was truly a great honor and that speech which um, you can find at the New York City Young Republicans Club um, if you go to their website to me um, the understanding of what it means to be an American and being a patriot necessarily means that we have to understand the reality to which God presents us and understand how government in context is supposed to act to preserve and protect our rights that are given by God our creator. So as we're talking through all of these things and we're seeing how the Bill de Blasio's, the Gavin Newsom's, all of these, Uh, petty tyrants are manipulating the purpose of government we can't simply concede the founding of our country on the judeo-christian worldview and argue these things from a secular humanist framework that it simply only takes the majority of conservatives to implement a good a good framework and good laws in our society The moral majority is a good idea, but even more so, whether it's one person or 100% of people speaking truth and saying, sorry, you can't do X because you don't have the authority. That's not a partisan statement. It's a conservative one. And it's an accurate one based on the principles that founded our country and our founding legal documents. So we have to go back and make sure that we are arriving at these conclusions, not just issue by issue but going through and analyzing the foundation of what actually genuinely makes our country so great. And the reason that our country is so great, the reason that I'm proud to be an American, is because our country was founded on the premise and the truth, recognizing the truth, that our rights come from God our Creator, not our government. And for the first time in world history— the sole purpose of government was recognized as operating in a limited capacity simply to preserve and protect those rights, not to preserve and protect public safety That's or, or whatever Bill de Blasio thinks is the great thing today. And as we are rising up and educating people, fighting these fights, and hopefully embodying the spirit of conservatism, I want to ask all of you who listen faithfully to this program to pray for all of these people involved, um, including me, but including a lot of our good friends. You know who they are. Um, This is a spiritual battle, and I can tell you firsthand that there are many people who are on the front lines that are being specifically targeted for spiritual attack. And we have to make sure that we are praying faithfully and we are recognizing that this is bigger than just a partisan Republican versus Democrat fight. This is a spiritual battle for the soul of America. And I don't say that as a cliche or say that lightly. Um, Very dear friends of mine are going through really, really difficult things right now, even though the only thing that's public facing is how much they're fighting on the front lines. So I would ask you as the best thing, that you can do for this country. The best thing that you can do to help this fight is to pray faithfully every day that God would not only grant us a victory, but that we would win the spiritual battles and that we would not be overcome by all of the attacks that are just distractions. And that is so, so important. I can't even tell you how much it encourages me, and I'm so thankful to all of you who will Uh, post responses on social media, send me emails, um, send me, you know, responses through every, every method possible saying, you know, thank you for what you're doing, but also telling me that you're praying for me. That is the most important thing that you can do. And I'm so thankful for all of you that are daily praying for this country, praying for the fighters on the front lines. Please, please, please continue to do that. I'll see you tomorrow for another episode here on The Jenna Ellis Show.